Lord, we just thank you for such a merciful God you are, and and Lord, we just know that you have you have something to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want you to look up there on the screen or turn to your Bibles, and we'll read uh, John chapter two, verse one through eleven. Seems like I cannot escape some of this stuff. If you remember last week, if you were here, I talked about there being uh, eight miracles in the Gospel of John. And those miracles are actually called signs. They don't call them miracles in the Gospel of John. They call them signs. And those are eight signs. And, and of course, I told you a sign is a miracle uh, that is meant to teach us something, to point us in a direction and uh, explain something that's not apparent. If, if you all remember a few years ago, there was a movie called Signs. Remember that movie? That was a great movie, and it was all about signs. It was very much, at the beginning of the movie, this lady got killed, and she gave this prophetic thing out, and which the guy thought she was crazy. The husband was a pastor, and he fell away from the Lord, and you know all this stuff happened. But everything she prophesied as she was dying happened, and she was sort of giving direction to what happened when these aliens... <laughs> Aliens invaded Earth, and uh, you know she was telling them what they needed to do to, to to defeat these aliens, which is basically throw water on them and beat beat the fire out of them with a baseball bat. <laughs> but it was a great movie, I thought. Um, you know, it was it was a good. I mean, the movie was well done. It wasn't one of these B C grade movies, and uh, Mel Gibson was the. I'm in here plugging this movie to, for you to go rent it and you get more information on signs. So. That's really sort of what all those miracles were in the Gospel of John in particular. They were signs meant to tell us something. They were prophetic in nature. They were trying to explain things to us. And um, then I showed you this pattern that's in those signs. Remember that? I showed you how sign, the first sign and the last sign go together, the second and the seventh, the third and the sixth, and the fourth and the fifth. And they, they're all trying to communicate something to us from God, which I think is real important. And uh, so I want to talk to you this morning about the, the first sign. And that's the turning of, of water into wine. And we've read this before, but it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And the mother of Jesus was there. <laughs> now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were, six, there were, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water, that was made wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when, he, when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs, notice that's the first sign Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So really, that's really the ultimate reason for signs, to see the glory of, the glory of Jesus. Um, you know, I think it would be really a tragic thing 
not to, there's a really a, very much an apparent thing in this sign that would be, and there's a lot in these things, okay? A lot of things that, the, that God is really trying to speak to us and teach us through these signs, but it'd be wrong to just jump over, I think, one of the most important things and most apparent things is about marriage. Uh, and that's really, you know, Jesus doing the first sign, the first miracle that Jesus performed was at a wedding, which, you know, as probably thousands, innumerable thousands of, of weddings, this passage has probably been brought out in. Um, you know, Jesus was really trying to make a statement about marriage. And I think it would be behoove us really to hear some things that the Lord might want to say to us about marriage. Um, in those days, in w- weddings, if you, if you call the point, as the bridegroom, you know, the master of the feast went to the bridegroom and talked to him about the wine. In those days, it's sort of opposite. People like Andy Squires would wish that it was like that. But the, in those days, it was the bridegroom who paid for everything. So if you got five daughters, you know, in, in our culture, you're in trouble. But in that culture, you were in good shape. And another thing that was interesting in that culture, those wedding parties could last up to seven days. They didn't, they're not like wedding parties there where you have like a meal here, you know, the groom thing, and then you have the wedding, then you have a little reception after. This thing could go on for seven days, I mean, a party for seven days. And so that's what they would do many times. They would just party for seven days, meaning they would drink wine and eat and dance and just have a big old time for seven days straight, and people would do it. And, you know, in the Bible, if you look at wine, wine in the Bible, in the New Testament anyway, and and mainly in the Old Testament, really typically speaks of blessings. That's really what wine speaks of in the Bible. It doesn't speak of like wine, what we consider wine today in the natural, but in the Bible, wine was a blessing. It, 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 It was communicating God's blessing to people. That's why the, one of the symbols of, of the Holy Spirit, one of the things we talks about, the new wine being poured out. <laughs> it's a blessing, right? And new wine being the Spirit, and you don't put, put new wine into old wineskins, speaking of the Spirit of God. So it's really speaking of a blessing that God you know, wanted to do. And one of the worst things that could happen in that culture in, in the wedding party is to run out of wine. It was, it brought a, it was a humiliating, it was a shameful thing in that, in that society to run out of wine. And that's why it was such a, a big deal um, for, this, you know, for this miracle to be done there because this, this family, this man, in particular this groom, he was fixing to incur a great shame upon himself. Now, if you think about a marriage, marriage in the Bible really is probably one of the most heaven, heavenly pictures they are. Okay? It really is a heavenly picture. It's a picture, you know, what Jesus is trying to communicate here is that marriage is so important because he, because ultimately, and I'll, I'll read the Scripture in a minute, Paul says it's actually a mystery of who Christ is and who the church is. There's this marriage thing. So, so what God did is he tried to give us a picture in the earth of what, something that's very heavenly. Okay? And that's what a sign does. A sign tries to point you to something that's spiritual that you can't see. And that's one of the reasons that marriage is such a profoundly important thing in the earth. Because it, 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 is, it is communicating something that's profoundly important. And what it's communicating is our, the church's relationship to Jesus Christ. 
That's the ultimate thing that marriage is trying to communicate. And that's why it's so important, and that's why it really is a sign. And that's why marriage is such under attack today in, in every nation of the world. And it has always been that um, because it's a heavenly thing. Now, there's a scripture, Matthew 24, 12. Um, it says, And because lawlessness, lawlessness will abound, the love of, of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many. Now, now, the foundation of marriage is love, correct? Now, we always equate that verse there, Matthew 24. Put that back up there. We always equate that verse to the end times, okay? And, and, and we always equate it to, to our love for God, which is really the right interpretation of that scripture but here's what we need to really understand in the end days love is going to be attacked which means the foundation of marriage is being attacked if love is attacked your marriage is under attack and we need to see that we need to see that there's a spirit of lawlessness that has been released and one of its very purposes is not only to destroy our relationship with God, but to destroy our relationship with the person that God has given us to reflect God's glory on this earth. Amen? Are you all with me? All right, there's another scripture that speaks of the same thing. It's very clear. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Okay? Now, I believe we can say that we're living in the latter times. Right? Amen? We are living... And it says, Some will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, that's what's happening right now. Giving heed to deceiving spirits, speaking lies in, in, in hypocrisy. I mean, we, you know, this is a very clear scripture. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Okay? Having their own conscience seared. Forbidding to marry. Now, you see right there, there is another attack on marriage. Latter times. And, commanding, and it goes on, command to abstain from foods, which, you know, that's another issue that's going on, believe it or not, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So, you see, there's just two verses out of the Bible that clearly states that marriage is in trouble because marriage is being attacked. The, the enemy has, has targeted your marriage. He's after your marriage. He's trying to destroy your marriage. And you, need, you and I need to know that. We need to be aware of that. And we, know, we all know people whose marriage has been destroyed. Um, so turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 now. And I'm going to read a well-known passage in the Bible on marriage. Okay? And this is some of the clearest, clearest instruction in the Bible on marriage. Okay? And uh, I'm going to use the Message Bible... And I don't like everything the Message Bible says on this, but there's a, there's a particular part in there I really like a whole lot, so I decided to go with the whole thing. And I'm going to start at verse 21. And verse 21 is not talking about marriage. Verse 21 is talking about our relationship with one another. And if you read it in your King James Version or New King James or something like that, it says submit to one another. That's what it says. It uses that word submit. I'll just, but, it, but here the way the Message says, it says out of restraint, respect for Christ be courteously reverent to one another then it says wives okay now we know or if you're familiar with your Bible it says wives submit to your husband that's what it says in your New King James it says wives understand and support your husband in, the, in ways that show your support for Christ 
The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. Just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leaderships, wives should submit to their husbands. Okay? Wives should submit to their husbands. I want to just take a, a little stop here, and I want to talk to you about that word submit because, you know, it's an important word. Uh, now, if you look at, you know, like verse 21, which, again, in the King James, it, it uses the word submit. And if you, then if you go over and read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, you will find an interesting word. And it's, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It uses the word obey. And then in Ephesians 6, 5, it gives us another very interesting word. It says, slaves, or, or maybe you put it in modern terminology, employees, obey your employer. Okay? And really what I want you to, I want you to see something here, what Paul was trying to communicate here. This is, there seems to be a lot of messed up stuff about that word submit. Uh, Paul used, that word obey and that word submit are two, word, two different words. Okay? It says in verse 21... Up there, it said, submit to one another. Okay? Does that mean that I have to obey Marlon Magusu, everything Marlon Magusu says when I submit to him? Does it? It does not mean that. In fact, the word submit comes from the word submission. And submission means that you know what a submarine is? <laughs> you know what marine is? It's water. You say, get underwater. In other words, submission means this. And submit literally means this. It means to get under the other person's mission and support that. That's what submit means. When it, so it's, when it says to me, when it says submit to each other, I need to discover what Marlon's mission is and get under Marlon's mission and support Marlon in his mission of life. Okay? Y'all understand that? So then Paul says this to wives. Wives, submit your husband. Wives, get under the mission of your husband being the leader in the home and support him in being the leader. Y'all got that? That's what the Bible teaches us. It doesn't teach this, wives, you have to do everything your husband says to do. That's wrong. It does not teach that the husband should be domineering and controlling the house. It teaches that the husbands are meant to be the leaders of the home because God has this order that He's established. In every situation, God, you know, has an order. You know, the Father is the leader of the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? And Christ is the leader of the church, and He's delegated certain men, you know, to, to be leaders. And, and he, so He has this order. So He's given an order in the home for the wives to get... In, and, he, and Paul said, wives, this is how God wants your home to work. He wants the husband to be the leader of the home. He wants you to get under... Get under his mission of being a leader and support him in it. Help him in it. Encourage him in it. Amen? That's really what it's, it's really saying. And, you know, the way Peterson gives it there, he says, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. That's, that's a good way to say it. Then he goes on, the husband provides leadership to his wife as the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So the church submits to Christ at... As he exercised such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husband. See, Jesus doesn't require us of anything of us. He doesn't demand anything from us. Did you know that? It's always a choice to follow Jesus. In the church, we can do, you know, we can say, well, we're going to do what we believe God wants to do, or, well, we don't really like what he wants us to do. Because, you know, it's going to be unpopular, and popular opinion says this, let's do that. We can do that. He's not sitting there saying, no, you've got to do this this way. 
well, it'd be behoove us not, you know, to obey Jesus, to do what He wants us to do, but it's always a choice. Christianity is always a choice. That's why there were two trees in the garden. Right from the beginning, God always gave man a choice. And any time we take choice away, we have moved outside the boundaries of what, how God designed us to live. We always had to give choice. Even growing up, you know, even with your children, you need to give your children choices. Okay, if you stick your finger in that light socket, this is what's going to happen to you. And I'm going to bust you before you quite get there. So the best thing for you is choose not to even get near the light socket. You know, but give them a choice. Teach your children how to make choices so when they grow up and step out the door into the world away from you sitting over there hovering over them, they can make right choices. I wish I'd have known that when I was doing stuff back in the day. I wish somebody had told me that. Nobody told me that. Nobody said to me, Byron, teach your children how to make choices. It was pretty much make them, force them. You know, provide an, amp- an environment where they will actually always have, you know, the right choices always be there. I never put them in a situation. That was a lie. You know, it was not the way God designed it. We need to teach them how to make choices, but that's another subject. Now, the Bible does tell the children you need to obey your parents and do what they tell you to do. But it doesn't tell them to do wives. So that's, that's some pretty clear stuff about wives. Um, now, we get to the inter- interesting part in Ephesians 5, verse 25, about husbands. I like this much better because I think this is where we have much of the problem in marriages. I think the majority of problems in marriages are with the husbands, not with the wives, generally speaking. There are some wives that are crazy and, won't, you know, hard to get along with and won't let their husbands be the leaders. But I think most women are craving their husband to rise up and be a leader. They're craving it. Please lead me. You're supposed to, dummy, you know. Get with the program. You know, that doesn't mean you do everything. You know, in my marriage, we have certain things that Becky's good at. I'm not going to go try it out. Go, you know, I went to the grocery store. Let me just tell you about this grocery store experience I had recently. <laughs> it was awful. It was her birthday, and I got this great plan in my mind. We're going to have, we're going to fix a special meal for Becky. Now, it had been easy if it was me. I just went out and bought some beef, some steak, and grilled it. But she's more into the fish world. So we was going to make these crab cakes. So I talked to my daughter and got this recipe that she sent me on the, you know, sent me an email of the recipe. So I, I go to the store to buy this recipe for these crab cakes and all this other stuff. I mean, I spent two hours in the grocery store. I was so stressed out. I finally had to call Becky and just tell her this is what we're doing because I can't find all this stuff in here. I mean, I would ask people, they would tell me where to go, and man, I was just so upset. But then I went to like three different grocery stores. I mean, I was beside myself by the time I got through. Because that is just not my gift. Grocery stores are not my deal. It's her deal. She manages the house. She makes sure groceries in there when she decides to do that. <laughs> so what we got to do is, is leaders, good leaders know you can't do everything. You're not good at everything. So you find out what that other person's good at. Let them be in charge of it. Let them be in charge of the home. If she's good with the checkbook and you're... Just daggone can't add 3 plus 3. You know, 3 plus 3 is 14. I don't know what's wrong with the bank, you know. But if they can say 3 plus 3 is 6, you dummy, we spent, you know, nine more dollars than we had. You know, you let them do it. And don't, you know, and support them in it. That's, that's practical. It's realistic. But uh, here's the story here. It says, husbands, I love this. Go all out in your love for your wives. 
exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Now, that's a good way of saying that. Christ's love makes the church whole. Is that not the truth? God has went all out in His love for us. He's loved us. When Jesus rebukes you, how do you feel? You feel loved. You feel encouraged. You don't feel condemned and stupid. You feel encouraged that He cares enough about you to speak into your life. It says everything He does and says is designed to bring out the best in her, the church. And that is the truth. And that is really what God wants us to do as men, as husbands. Now, y'all have always, all have heard, I'm sure, the ten cow story. Okay? But if you haven't, I'll just remind you of it. It's a great story that illustrates this point. Back in, you know, ancient history in Hawaii, there was a, a culture that said this. When a man wanted to marry a woman, he had to give the woman's daddy cows. Okay? That's how they would buy it. It was dowries. So, you know, there was this one man, and, you know, the best woman, the gort, most, you know, best-looking, most attractive, you know, whatever attracted the men to the women then, woman was worth five cows. I mean, that was like the top, the top of the line. You can't, it's like buying a Lexus car, you know. I mean, it's the best. You know what I'm saying? And there was this one man who had two daughters. One was gorgeously beautiful. She was a five-cow woman. And he had this other one girl who honestly was not, she wasn't going to get nothing. I mean, he was going to be good if he get a dang on, sh- you know, a, a shoulder off the cow, hamburger out of this deal, you know. I mean, that was really the way she, he didn't think she was going to get married, poor guy. You know, he stuck with her. But uh, there's this guy came along one day and saw this woman and went to this, this, this dad and said, Listen, I will give you not one cow, not two, not three, not four, not even five. I will give you ten cows for this daughter. Well, he was thinking, he was talking about the younger Gordon one. He was thinking, Yeah, yeah, she's worth double. She's the most beautiful girl ever. He said, No, it's the other one I want. She's the one I want. I will give you ten cows for. The daddy couldn't believe it. Could not believe that anybody, you are stupid. You know, they were like, Yeah. I got me ten cows out of this girl. And the daddy knew she wasn't worth ten. Well, he marries her. And also in this culture, and everybody in the, the whole village thought, this guy is one idiot. I mean, look, I mean, he, was a, he, don't even, he can't even see. Somebody needs to take him to the eye doctor. He can't see. <laughs> can't he see what he's getting? But, uh, you know, and also in this culture, when a couple got married, they would go away for two years on their honeymoon because they didn't want, you know, the in-laws and all that stuff. They knew how that could cause trouble. So they'd go have them a two-year honeymoon somewhere else, and then they would come back to the village and live after two years. So they get married, and they leave, okay? And in two years, they see these people come, and they say, hey, you know, there comes old Joe, and he, he's got another woman with him. That sorry rascal, he didn't keep her. You know, he didn't keep that ugly, homely girl that he, you know, paid ten cows for. What an idiot. But he's got him a, man, he's got him a knockout. He hit pay dirt somewhere. You get up close and they realize it is the tent. It is the ugly, homely girl. I mean, I know girls don't like this kind of stuff too much, but just get over that for a minute. The point in the story is this. The man was willing to give something for that girl and she became a ten-cow wife. She became the thing that he saw in her. And that's really how the church is. We, we become what Christ speaks to us. How He encourages us and what He speaks over our life and speaks in. That's why prophetic ministry and all that stuff is so important. Praying for people is so important. You speak life over people. Speak joy in them. Speak what you see that God shows you about them. You know, you are Peter and you shall be. You know, 
Well, that's how God treats the church, and that is exactly how God wants husbands to treat their wife. And I have found, because I do a lot of marital counseling, actually, more than I really would prefer to, and this is the truth. I have found that most of the time, I have found husbands that say, say awful things to their wife. Awful things. Tell them they're ugly, they're fat, they don't, they're stupid. They tell them stuff like that. And I look at them and say, why do you think you've got a bad marriage? You're at fault. Because out of your mouth, you are creating something in that person. Are y'all with me? Okay, it says, everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best out of her. That's really how men... That's what God wants us to do. And if we will do that, we will have a blessed marriage. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor. That's really... Then Paul says, hey, if you will do that, you're doing yourself a favor. Since you are already one, since they're already one in marriage. You're already one person. Y'all with me? No one abuses his own body. Anybody does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. Y'all, y'all do that, right? That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes, cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery. All right, now Paul's starting to look at the spiritual thing. He's saying this is, this is truly a spiritual thing. Um, this is a huge mystery, mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her. Pretty straightforward. And how each wife is to honor her husband. So, that's pretty, pretty clear, right? I mean, that's really some very clear instruction from the Bible meant to protect our marriages from the attacks that are upon them. Now, going back to the, to the wedding, I said that wine was a blessing, right? In the Bible, wine is a blessing. It's not something to get drunk on. It's something that stood for a blessing. And how God wants to bless people, how God wants to bless marriages. You see, our marriages need God to bless them. It is very hard and very difficult to have an excellent marriage. And it's even more difficult in this world we live in. It really is. And our marriages are under attack. And we need that miracle of Jesus turning water into wine over our marriages. We really do. And, uh, you know, when we feel, you know, when you feel tempted in your marriage, I mean, ever, everybody feels tempted to, you know, not to be unfaithful or you feel upset with your spouse. or See, that's where we need God to step in in our life and do a miracle and change our hearts, change the way we feel. You know, another thing, just throwing that out there, one of the deadly things I've seen in marriages. And we try to tell couples that we're trying to prepare them for marriage, because we've got to do a lot of that also, is listen, you are very attracted to this person. You are marrying this person the way they are because you love them. And here's what you're going to do when you get married. You're going to try to change them. You're going to try to make them into the image that you think. And if you're successful, you'll hate them because you will hate what you've created. Don't try to change them into your image. Try to bring out what's in them that's God. Let them be who they are. Call forth who they are. If they're faking it, tell them, I don't want to fake. I want the real you. I'm not going to try to make you be something you're not. You have a successful marriage when you begin to do that instead of trying to make them. Because a lot of people turn against their spouses because they've created their spouses to be something they were never meant to be. 
And it's not living from your heart. It's not living from the truth. Oh, I don't like him because he's not spiritual enough. Well, he may be more spiritual than you realize. This is just not spiritual like you or like somebody at church that you think spiritual. I mean, that is, we can't be that way. Let's, let's find that thing in them and mind that thing. Draw that thing out. But we really do need, need miracles.